A smile can make a big difference. You may have experienced this in your life. Especially when a smile is unexpected, when it shows up out of nowhere, a smile can make a big difference. Nikki and I will have our 23rd wedding anniversary this week, and we have been together for 25 years. And it is hilarious that every time I wait at the airport for her to come out through those doors, I have this uh, butterfly feeling in my stomach, kind of like I'm about to preach the gospel. And as she walks out through those doors, a big old goofy grin just appears on my face. And you would think after 25 years that I would be used to her, but I'm not. And that smile just bursts onto my face, and wouldn't you know it, one appears on her face, echoing mine. A smile makes a big difference. Babies are like this. Remember the first time your baby smiled at you? It changes everything. It may be three in the morning. You may be so tired you feel like you're about to die. But they smile, and all of a sudden, everything's okay. One of my children, who shall remain nameless, um, peed on me one time while I was changing them. And I got angry for just as I was holding them up. I should have known better. And uh, they peed on Daddy. And so I had, you know, I felt a little outraged at this. But then they smiled as if they'd done something good. And everything was okay. A smile can make a big difference. If you've uh, listened to me preach at all, you know that I am a pastor who likes to be as transparent as possible, even at the price of seeming foolish. So I am not entirely embarrassed to admit that there's a very cute girl at the gym who works out when Sam and I tend to work out. And last week, as I walked past her at the water fountain, she smiled at me. And so I added some weight to my deadlift. And <laughs> it's sad to be that 45-year-old guy from the stories. I used to be 17. Enjoy it, boys, while you're 17 years of age. <laughs> but all joking aside, I'm a man, right? I am a son of Adam. I'm descended from our first father. She's a woman. She's a daughter of Eve. When a daughter of Eve smiles at a son of Adam, it evokes a response that God built into us, and that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. A smile can make a big, big difference. Because a smile says, I am pleased with you. I am pleased with you. And it's my great joy this morning as a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you to say, God is pleased with you. And that is our Christmas present this year. And if you ask me how I know that God is pleased with you, I know he's pleased with you because the angels said glory. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. My uh, big and very fancy point for you this Christmas is that heaven has stepped in. 
This is why Christmas is so significant. I like to refer to Christmas as Easter part one. And we will live from this day till Easter Sunday in anticipation of celebrating the completion of the story that we celebrate its beginning today. Christmas changes everything. Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 14 is one of my top 10 Bible passages. It is beautiful. Its point is this. You are not alone. This is the point of the story of Christmas. This is the point of the story of Jesus. This is enough of a point to resonate in your heart throughout the rest of the year and to change you entirely if you embrace it wholeheartedly. You are not alone. This is what the Christians believe. We believe that there is a God that he made everything that is, including you and me, to be his friends forever. And despite the fact that our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin and separation from God by disobeying him in the Garden of Eden in the matter of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, despite the fact that they were banished from his presence, and despite the fact that from their day until ours, the human story has been one of ruin and pain and conquest and oppression, God did not leave us alone in our sin, for he made us to be with him. And so in the fullness of time, according to the scriptures, the reason for which all the Christmas carols ever written were written, he stepped in. God the Son became a man, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ was born. And this God-man, this good man, fully God and fully man, God in a body, perfectly fulfilled his Father's will all the days of his life. He never sinned once. Though he was tempted in every way in which we'll ever be tempted. And he suffered in ways in which we will never, ever suffer. If you're suffering this Christmas, if you have ever suffered in such a way that it felt like it might crush your soul, I say to you today what I say in every pastoral meeting I ever have with somebody who is suffering. The pain that you feel now is part of the pain that God the Father laid on Jesus Christ, God the Son, as he suffered and died in your place for your sins, and not for your sins only, but for the sins of the world. You see, friend, those who sinned against you, their sins were paid for as Jesus Christ, the God-man, hung on Calvary's tree. And your sins were dealt with also. For as he hung there, the Father laid on him the iniquities of us all. If you've ever wondered why God had to punish God the Son, it's because the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. And you know this, if anyone has ever sinned against you, you know that something died in your relationship the moment they sinned against you. And if you've ever sinned against somebody in a way that is grievous, you know that something died in your relationship the moment that sin was loosed on the world. The wages of sin is death. And so God in his mercy, instead of killing the race that he made to be his friends forever, he killed his son so that he might pay the penalty once and for all for sin. But the story doesn't end at the cross because the third day, that very first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose again victorious, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. And appearing to his friends, he ate food, he was really real, and then right in front of their eyes, he ascended back to his father's right hand where he sat down, where he sits even now interceding for you, which means he's your cheering section. This is the place from whence he will come again someday in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end, a kingdom in which you, my friend, have a place. And if you ever needed a reason to smile, that is a pretty good reason. You belong in God's kingdom. You are not alone. You have never been 
alone. You were never meant to be alone. Even in your darkest hour, God is with you. How do I know? Because his name is Emmanuel, which means from the Hebrew, Imanu, with us, El, God, with us, God. God himself is with you. Somebody say amen in this house. God himself is with you, friend. You are not alone. This is the story of Christmas. Heaven has stepped into your average, ordinary life. This is not just a story for kings and queens and angels and archangels, but this is a story for nobodies from nowhere. Verse 8, and in that same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. When heaven steps in, it says glory. And when it says glory, your everyday ordinary will be interrupted. This is point number one. When heaven says glory, your everyday ordinary will be interrupted. I want you to notice in verse 8, the plainness of the language. And in the same region, right there, That's all this is saying. In the same region, the shepherds were just there. They weren't planning on having a divine encounter that night. They were just there. Muddy, unspectacular Bethlehem. Even today, Bethlehem is muddy and unspectacular. I grew up in Israel. My parents would take us to the shepherd's fields in Bethlehem every Christmas Eve. If you ever want to celebrate Christmas Eve, celebrate it in the shepherd's fields. I give honor to my parents, Jim and Kathy, who are here for the boldness to take their church out into the terrace fields of Boaz outside the city of Bethlehem so that we might sing the praises of God under the stars of the Bethlehem sky. But often it would be raining, and the mud caked on our feet was something spectacular. Bethlehem is like the mud that surrounds it, not awesome, okay? It's not awesome. The point for you is this, this Christmas, heaven will interrupt you wherever you happen to be. Receive it, okay? It's going to interrupt you wherever you happen to be, whoever you happen to be. Continue in verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds. The shepherds, again, not impressive. How do I know? Because they smelled like sheep. And no, I did not just cuss in church. (laughs) If I was Israeli, it would sound like I did. They smelled like sheep, right? These are not impressive people. You don't have to be anywhere special. You don't have to be anyone impressive. You don't have to be doing anything amazing. All right, see this picture for what it was. These are dudes in the mud with sheep in the middle of nowhere, and it's raining. Do you feel like that this Christmas? If that is your everyday ordinary, let me say to you this morning, because I love you, Christmas is for you. It's for you. In the midst of your muddy, ordinary life, here's the application. Just be where you are, be who you are, and do your thing, and watch for heaven to step in. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Note what's happening here. Glory is being unleashed here. Shining is happening here. And fear is bursting out in the hearts of the humans here. Glory, shining, and fear is a common theme in the Bible when God shows up. Do you know your Bibles? Have you read it a little bit? Every time an angel of the Lord shows up, people freak out. There's glory and bright light. 
Okay? This is God's way of saying, wake up, I'm here, baby. I'm here. Glory, shining, and fear. What is glory? Okay, literally glory means weightiness. Weightiness. Okay, this is what glory means. I want to just say one thing to you. Next time you find yourself in a heavy moment, know that heaven is there with you. Because it has a thing for weight. We tend to think that glory is only for cathedrals and sunshine shining through stained glass windows. But glory is meant for the weight that you bear every day. Heaven is there in the midst of your heaviness. What's shining all about? Shining is all about light. What is light physically? We know that light is both a particle and a wave, and we know that it is always active. Did you know that light never sits still? Isn't it beautiful to think that God always has light exploding all around him whenever he shows up? Maybe to help Silly preachers like me and silly congregants like you, remember that he never sits still. He who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is the light. Always active. Always shining. Next time you feel stuck, remember that heaven is working. What's the fear here all about? The fear here in the hearts of these shepherds, I think is a device, a tool meant to remind you The next time you feel small and freaked out by life, remember that heaven, in the midst of your fear, has something very beautiful to say. Verses 10 through 12, we hear what heaven has to say. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Heaven has some beautiful things to say. It steps in and it says glory. When heaven steps in and says glory, here's the second point. Everything gets better. Okay, you are just like the shepherds. Average, ordinary people. You can expect that when heaven steps into your life, everything will get better better. What does this particularly look like? Let me unpack it for you out of verses 10 and 12. First, things will get better because you will not have to fear anymore. And you know that fear is one of the constant struggles we deal with as people. Instead of having to be afraid, you'll be able to be amazed and filled with joy because the all-inclusive good news will be coming true. I want you to note that the angel here says that this good thing that is coming true is something that has been spoken from antiquity. Okay, the good news is coming true. You're going to be saved. And heaven, in fact, is willing to prove it to you by turning everything on its head. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. Christmas says God loved you enough to step in, so don't be afraid. Verse 10, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy That will be for all the people. Put in today's common language. He's saying here, I'm going to bring you, I bring you today amazing good news that brings great joy to everybody. Let me ask you something potentially difficult. Is that what your Christianity is making you live? Okay, is that what you're making, is that what your Christianity is making you live? That particular way, amazing, good news that brings great joy to everybody. Is that how you're living? This is a challenge in traffic. This is a challenge when having to tip your server more than you would otherwise like to. 
This is a challenge when having to be nice to your neighbor. Is your Christianity making you live in a way that is amazingly good news that brings great joy to everybody? If not, there's a chance that we are living a counterfeit, non-Christian religiosity rather than the genuine article. This is difficult. The quality of our Christianity is proved in the way in which our Christianity affects the world. Okay, Todd, I'm with you. How do we know if it's real Christianity? You'll know that someone is practicing real Christianity when it puts a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Let me tell you my Domino's story. We like Domino's pizza in my family. One of the reasons we like Domino's is because one of my football players plays there and we get a little insider love once in a while. I coach the uh, Centennial Spartans football team. Three of my boys are here today, Lewis and Daniel and Jack. Who else is here, Jordy? Who else is here? Wait, oh, Bacon's here. Oh, my gosh. I almost texted you to say I'm going to talk about you in my sermon today. Whoa, that's the Holy Ghost. Holy smokes. So my man Bacon, also known as Malachi, works at Domino's. You're going to be kind of embarrassed by this, but not really. So these are my boys And I love them, which is why I invited them to church this morning, which is why they came. It's not weird, because they know that Coach Todd loves them. And I have been working hard for three years to let them know that I love them unconditionally. And so every time, I didn't know that Malachi worked at Domino's, but one time I went in and I saw him there, and I did what comes natural to a football coach who loves his players. I made him come out from around the counter, and I hugged him. And I told him, I'm proud of him. Don't I tell you, I'm proud of you every time I see you at Domino's. Yeah, he's nodding his head. So I hugged him, told him I'm proud of him, and the Domino's kind of came to a bit of a standstill. (laughs) It's a little weird. You don't usually see this every day. Now, here's what's happened. One of the guys who was standing next to Malachi that first time, and he's often there when I go in subsequently, uh, now knows that I'm Coach Todd, who happens to love bacon. And happens to love Lewis and Danny and Jack. And happens to love all the boys that I get the privilege of coaching throughout the year. And so now when I show up, even when Malachi is not there, a smile appears on his face. And so this week, I kid you not, I went in and I had been quoted $43 for my pizza. But as soon as he saw it was me, I got the staff discount, $37.25 for my pizza. (laughs) Now wait, there's more. Because the gospel of Christ is slowly turning me into a better man, I took the equivalent of the discount and gave it to him as his tip. And again, he looked at me kind of shocked, gave me my pizza, and he smiled at me. See, I'm trying to love these boys so well that one day the day will come when they will wonder if perhaps it's going to make me cry. The love of God is real too. Because if this man, to whom I owe nothing, lays his life down for me, maybe there's something to the story. I don't know what it is about these people, but they make me smile. Can I tell you my barber story real quick? I went and got my hair did for you. I was a little nervous actually. You're sitting up top so you can actually tell me, am I going bald? I went and got my hair, did. And yeah, I know the guys at the barbershop too. And I invited them to come to church also. I don't know if they're here. Alan, are you here? Jay, are you here? 
They're not here. Okay, you win some, you lose some. It's all right. <laughs> but I invited them to come to church. And see, I've been going to the same barber since I moved to Guelph. And so this week, when I sat down, it's like, how's your week, Todd? I said, it's good. Christmas is coming, baby. You've got to come to church. It's going to be bananas. And I happened to be with Alan, who's the talkative barber. And this is probably the Holy Spirit setting the people up. And so Alan, just for whatever reason this week, of all weeks, decided to start asking me questions about Jesus. And you know how we started? He said to me this, uh, yo, ta- yo, Todd. He's a bit of a, a, bit of a gangster. He's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared of him. He said to me, uh, yo, Todd, how come you never seem bothered by anything? And I said, you know, Alan, it's because of Jesus. And he kept asking me questions. And if you've been to a barbershop, you know that's usually it's a cacophony of sound. Everyone talking, yapping, music playing. I swear, for the next 12 minutes, as he peppered me with questions about the gospel, and I answered him honestly and from the heart, a hush fell in that barbershop as everybody stopped talking and started listening to the crazy old bald guy in the barber's chair. Because <laughs> I was speaking about the beauty of Jesus, and I was testifying to the difference that he has made in my life. You know why I am not bothered by anything? Because, verse 11, unto me is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. It was for me that Jesus came. It was for you that Jesus came. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called it Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Friend, God has so loved us in Christ that his love is now seeping through us into the loveless world. This is what we do as God's people in the midst of God's world. Friend, at Christmas, the love of God comes into the world. You should shout about that. The love of God comes into the world at Christmas. If you belong to Jesus, the love of God has moved from the manger into your heart. In you, through you, from you, it should move to the world. Do I need to say it again? The love of God has moved from the manger into your heart and in you, through you, and from you, friend. It must move into the world. And you'll know it's happening when everything in your life starts turning on its head. We see this illustrated clearly in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This will be a sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. You will know that the love of God is taking root in your heart and beginning to spill from you when everything begins turning on its head. Why do I know this? Because we see a baby, not a mighty warrior. That is the story turned on its head. We'll get ready for this. We see a baby wrapped in grave clothes. Did you know that the swaddling clothes they used for babies were the same clothes they used to wrap up a dead person? This baby was wrapped not in a sleeper. He was wrapped in grave clothes. Why? Woo! Because he came to die not to kill his enemies. That's radical Christianity for you right there. The founder of our movement came to die not to kill his enemies. And we see him lying in a feed trough for animals. Did you know that's what the manger was? It was a human feed trough 
for animals that was in the habit of being used. Yes, I'm sure they probably put whatever kind of fresh fodder they could find, some hay or some grass into it. But Jesus Christ, God the Son made flesh, the King of glory, lies in a feed trough, not in Trump Tower with a silver spoon in his mouth. The world says, be strong. Jesus says, in your weakness, I am strong. Somebody shout! Right? The world says, death is the great enemy who gets the final say. Jesus says, O death, where is thy victory? Where is thy victory, O grave? The world says, climb the ladder of prosperity at any cost. Jesus says, a feed trough will do just fine. Thank you very much. Friends, Jesus turns everything on its head. And heaven strongly agrees. Get a load of this. Is it going to work? You're supposed to play it there. Yeah, there we go. Just going to let it play for a minute. Just listen. You can turn it up. This is what heaven says. can kill it. You can imagine if Handel's Messiah is that glorious, what it would have actually sounded that night in Bethlehem. Verse 13, as we near the end here, worship team, you can join me on stage in just a moment. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, here at the beginning of the Jesus story, where the eternal word becomes man, I want you to notice that heaven can't help itself. And suddenly, there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host. This means thousands upon ten thousands of angels bursting through from the eternal realm into the temporal realm and shouting in song at the top of their voice, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill. Heaven breaks through from the eternal into the terrestrial, you will know that the glory of Christmas is truly taking hold in your life when you begin to do the same. When you begin marching in a deadened world to the beat of heaven's drum, that's when heaven is breaking through. When you begin to be and do the love of God in the midst of a loveless world, that's when heaven breaks through. Glory to God in the highest, verse 14. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want you to note that the glory, the weightiness of God 
when it is at work here on earth, it brings peace amongst those with whom God is pleased. And wouldn't you know it, when you explore the original meaning of the phrase, with whom he is pleased, it literally means amongst those who make him smile. Shepherds and angels and glory and baby saviors, oh my, heaven is breaking in to say glory and to remind you of one very important thing. Friends, you make God smile. And uh, last time I checked, a smile can make a very big difference.